Okay, Haggai. We are back in Haggai chapter 1. Tonight we'll be reading uh, verses 12 through 15, so that'll be to the end of the chapter. A pretty short section, pretty straightforward. We're going to get into it. So, chapter 1, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So as I said, that's a relatively straightforward passage, right? We, uh, the first section of the chapter was heavily prophecy. It was the prophetic word of God through the, uh, the prophet Haggai. And now we're shifting into what primarily is more of a narrative text with a, with a little bit of prophecy in the middle. And I say a little bit, but that's going to be very much kind of the crux and the core of this passage. Uh, and even before going there, I'll suggest that as short as this section is, the meat of it is, uh, in many ways, it's, it's just one of the most pervasive truths that we're going to find throughout all of Scripture. And it's this idea that God himself is both the end and the means, right? He's both the object of our love and he's the originator of our love. Without him, we don't love him. And I think we'll, we'll find that in the middle of this section and that's going to be really important. So if you don't take anything else away, I think there's, there's the takeaway. We can stop and call it, but we'll press, we'll press on. Verse 12 outlines the, the primary characters here, right? And last week, Caleb uh, walked us through and kind of reminded us of the general context here, right? The, this remnant of Israel, despite being the faithful remnant of Israel in this, uh, in this story, had lapsed into complacency, right? They had received the word, it came through Cyrus upon returning from exile that they were to rebuild the temple. And then very quickly, they started facing opposition. And as a result of that, the building ceased. Uh, and so this is where the, the first part of the chapter, it, I think appropriately takes us back a little bit as it would have the people at the time because we're hit with the reality that it's, it's God himself who is causing the trouble for the people at this time, right? It, it's in verse, uh, in verse 9, he, he declares to them, he said, You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? because of my house that lies in ruin, right? So the setup here is that this people of God had become complacent, had misprioritized. Honestly, it's, it's, a, it's a form of idolatry, a self-idolatry, where they had put their own luxurious state of living over the priority of, uh, we've been told and commanded to rebuild the temple. And so they weren't, they weren't seeking God's glory. But then in the start, of, in verse 12, we do, we get reintroduced to the characters, 
And it's one of those things I find myself asking why the almost like repetition here, right? It, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant. It, 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 like, wh why list it all out like that? We've, we've already been over this. I think one of the interesting pieces to pull from that is that we do see here a unified people, which is certainly not something that we see all the time in the history of Israel, right? We've seen that in Judges frequently, where we've got constant infighting between tribes, and that is essentially always a sure tell that things are going poorly, they're disobeying. But here we have, a, 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 we walk through, here we have from the leadership down to all the remnant of the people, we're going to see, right, they, they obey the voice of the Lord. But I do think it's interesting, right, we're introduced to this remnant language here, which is not a new concept to the scripture, but it is the first time that we see it here in this text. And so this is, I'm going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 24, if you want to go there as well. <coughs> we'll just read verse 4 through 7. Jerry, can I get a cup of water? Thanks. Love that. <coughs> Once everyone's turned there, I'm just going to read verses 4 through 7. Ah. Thank you much. Mm -hmm. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So I think to realize that's, that's the audience here, that these are the people that we're seeing in this passage, which is juxtaposed. There were Israelites who stayed in the captive land. They did not return with this remnant. And, and if we pressed on and read further in Jeremiah 24, they get described as well. And they were the bad figs. Uh, so good figs, bad figs. But here we are talking to this faithful remnant, which makes the first part of chapter 1 almost even more surprising to see that indeed it was the faithful remnant that had slipped into this complacency, into this idolatry. I think it's, it's important that we see that. But the remnant piece also appropriately points us to the fact that, right, remnant, preservation, God has preserved his people, his chosen people to this point. He has brought them back from exile. And while they are certainly experiencing his discipline up to this point, um, that is a dramatically different situation than when they were in, in true captivity in Babylon. And, and I think we rightly see a parallel to, right, we can see that in Egypt as well. He brings them out of the land of Egypt. There's still turmoil at times, but God preserves his people and so when we see that language just here in even verse 12, with all the remnant of the people, I think it's right that we pause and, and recognize the preservation of God in that. But then we, we move into the response, right? And that is what, in, in large part, this passage is. is it's the response of the people to the word of the Lord. And, and my suggestion is that one of the primary thrusts that we see through here is 
that it is the word of the Lord working in tandem with the spirit of the Lord that has this kind of effect on the people of God, which the, the, the presence of the spirit being a unique piece for the people of God as opposed to the enemies of God. Uh, but we see that effect here and that it does indeed result in obedience. And even that obedience, though, is couched in at the end of verse 12. It says, and the people feared the Lord. I don't think we should get confused necessarily by the order of the sentence structure there. Fear came at the end. Oh, so they obeyed and then they feared. I don't think that's how we should see it. it it's much more of a holistic picture here that the Lord had worked and, and developed a shift in the heart of the people who evidently had lost a, a right sense of fear for God, uh, clearly by the fact that they had said, hmm, we're okay that his house lie in ruin. We're going to focus on building our homes. That uh, certainly does not demonstrate a, a true fear of God. And then yet, here they are responding to the word of the Lord, and it does, it has its effect. It leads them to a heart posture of reverent, awe-filled fear, and so they obey. And so I think this, uh, verse 12, it's, it's kind of a long verse, all things considered, and it's giving us a good picture of that, of a generic response. We're going to get a little bit more specific as we move forward. I think we kind of get to peer behind the curtain a little bit. We see the inner workings of God, how it is that he produces this kind of response, this response of obedience, this response of fear. But right now we see from the outset that indeed that's the end, that's where we're headed. And then now, verse 13 through the end, I think we get to, to press into a little bit more of the specifics of that, how it is. Uh, so verse 13, this is a great verse. I'm reading the ESV, the Legacy Standard reads it really well. Wait, who... Somebody have the, who's got the legacy? Somebody's got the legacy, right? Oh, yeah. Can you, re, can you please read verse 13 out of the legacy? Yes. <clears throat> then Haggai, the messenger of Yahweh, spoke by the commissioned message of Yahweh to the people, saying, I am with you, declares Yahweh. I just love the commissioned message of Yahweh part, and, 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 and Yahweh. Um, certainly, the message is the same in any case, regardless of the English translation we're reading here. And, and, and we see a powerful shift in the language, right? First, one of the most dramatic, maybe you don't pick up on it right away, but it says, as the Lord their God had sent him in verse 12, and then in verse 13, now we have this message. As the Lord their God, that is not something, a language that we had found in the first section. So, if you're reading earlier in chapter one, we talk about it talks about the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord of hosts. And now as we as we find ourselves headed into verse 13, right, it, it said at the end of 12 that the Lord, their God, had sent Haggai, and now they get this message. That is 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 rather striking, especially when we consider the nature of what sort of connotation there is to the Lord of hosts juxtaposed to the Lord their God. Um, and, and to press into that a little bit, you can turn there if you want, but I'm going to go to Joshua uh, chapter 5. I'm just going to read a couple verses, so don't feel like you have to. It's Joshua 5, 13 through 15. And just to provide, hopefully, more of a context to this language of the Lord of hosts, I think we, all of the names of God, we sort of just brush over as, hey, look, another name for God. It's God, and it doesn't necessarily communicate 
all that much to us. I don't think that would have been the case here. And so be thinking on what sort of, even an emotional response that would be evoked by this, the Lord of hosts, as opposed to the Lord their God. So Joshua 5, 13 through 15. It says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. <coughs> so, the, the word there is translated army. It is the same word in Hebrew that's translated host. So, we, this is the same title and name that Haggai used that we saw in Joshua, this Lord of hosts, this, this one who stands with sword drawn, the commander of the army, who is... Nope, not for you, not for your adversaries. Your, your adversaries, I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord. Um, take off your sandals, this is holy ground. And so the fact that that is how God has been referring to himself in the prior section as he kind of lays out the, I, yes, me, sword drawn, I have been disciplining you, my people, and now, and <laughs> so it's not so surprising when we hear, and they feared God, right? That, that makes a lot of sense. But it, it then amplifies to suddenly this, this shift. The Lord, their God, right? And he's now coming to him. The messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. So if there was any sense, and, and I imagine there probably would have been, that, oh my gosh, I mean, we've blown it. We have totally blown it. And now the commander of the, the Lord's armies, he's just going to smite us. He's already done, he's already been disciplining us heavily. And then he hits them with this message. I mean, it, what an encouraging message that would be, especially in the context when he says, I am with you, declares the Lord. Uh, and, and certainly I think that is the most powerful verse in this section. Um, it's it's a, a verse of encouragement to all believers, uh, to know that this truth certainly applies to our own Christian life, uh, that the Lord is with us. And, and we'll, we'll revisit that a little bit more, but that's just one of those, you know, cross-stitch that on a pillow. That's a good, that's a good cross-stitch verse right there. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> but verse 14, it says, And then the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. That's a lot. Again, we have that repetition. I think it's good to note once again, we have a unified Israel here. We have a unified people of God all together fearing and obeying. But more than that, I think it's, it's, it's good to see it's the Lord who stirs them up, right? So at no point do we have any room really in any of this to see the people as being self-motivating, to see the people as the source of their strength or the source of their own zeal or the source of their energy. No, it's that the Lord stirs up the spirit of the people, the leader, the governor, Zerubbabel, the 
the high priest Joshua and all this faithful remnant. Their, their spirits are stirred up by God himself, um, and that is certainly the way uh, that it always works, not just in uh, the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. There are certainly differences between the workings uh, of the Spirit in the Old and the New, and believers now are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But again, the principle at play here that it's the Spirit of God that stirs up the people of God is a true one, uh, and one, one worth meditating on, uh, I would say. We also do, uh, we see something I think is, is particularly important, very, very much applicable to our own lives as we think of our own devotional life. Um, but we see, right, it's, it's the Spirit of God working in tandem with the Word, right? I think I've said that already, but, but we see it, the connection couldn't be more clear. It's immediately after this encouraging, encouraging word of, I'm with you, boom, the Lord stirs up the spirit of Zerubbabel, and the Lord stirs up the spirit of Joshua. And sometimes I think we can get caught up in, right, the spirit, oh, the spirit, it seems mystical, and it is, right? There, is, there are mystical elements to the spirit of God. But where, the, some, where there's mystical things, well, we don't have to dwell on that. What, is he, what do we clearly see here is that it's the spirit working directly in tandem with the word, and, and we ought never to divorce those two things, right? Where the Word of God is, the Spirit of God moving together with the people of God, that's, that is what produces fruitful work as we see at the end of the, at the, end of the verse, right? This is, uh, this is not a, an ineffective spirit. This is not a spirit of sloth as the people had been, but this is a, a energized spirit of fruitful activity, right? We have the Word leading to a stirring of the Spirit, leading to working on the house of the Lord, fulfilling the mission of God. Uh, and, and we certainly are, are right to draw a connection there um, to, to the Great Commission, right? Uh, Jesus himself, he says the same words uh, as the message of Yahweh in, in verse 13. We say it at the end of every uh, service at Ruah, right? We, we recite the Great Commission, and I think sometimes we... We maybe tend to focus on the first four-fifths and forget those last words, right? We talk about authority, heaven and earth, go therefore, make disciples, baptize, teach them. And then that last piece, though, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age, right? And uh, I think it's good to, to remind ourselves, you know, God is the same. The God of the Old Testament is certainly the God of the New Testament, and that is Jesus. And, and so it's no surprise that we see that same encouraging message here, and then we see it again in the New Testament. There's also a, a really wonderful story, a well-known story in the New Testament, immediately following the resurrection of Christ, um, that also gives us a great picture of this, the Word of God working in tandem with the Spirit of God um, and, and leading to great activity. Uh, right, it's the it's the story of the disciples on the road uh, to Emmaus, right? And so we have these two disciples. They're confused at, at this point. They do not know that Christ has risen from the dead. They're walking. Christ Himself joins them. They don't recognize Him, um, and He asks them what they're talking about. They proceed to tell Him about Himself, not knowing who He is. At which point it says that then he, he starts to explain the scriptures to them. And, and already you can see something changing in the behavior of these people. They invite him, well, come stay with us. 
He stays with them, and then it is over the breaking of bread. Their eyes are open to see. They see, and they recognize this is the risen Lord. And then he vanishes. But then at the very end, there's a wonderful phrase that these disciples, they say, "Did, did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us the scriptures, as he unfolded the scriptures to us? And I'm like, that, there it is again, that language of it's Jesus Christ himself is, 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 Teaching, he, he's he's preaching the Old Testament to these to these men, and, and their reflective recognition is, yeah. And when that was happening, we could our hearts were burning within us, right? This is God was stirring something, and so the Spirit of God was at work in that. Um, and I think that's a that's a, a great story again, pressing into I think a a really important concept that that as Christians we we uh, don't forget, which is that, yes, the, the Spirit of God works with and in and through the Word of God. And so as, as we think about how important it is that we do spend time uh, reading, meditating, studying Scripture, that, that that's not a, um, a sort of latent, just get it done sort of task. This is to engage directly with the Spirit of God to produce fruit, and to move us to do the work of the Lord, right? I mean, that's exactly what it did here, and that's what it, that's what it does uh, for us. I, I think, again, just reflecting on the eternality of the statement in, in verse 13 when, when God says, I am with you to His people, recognizing that uh, appropriately as just a, a promise echoed across all of Scripture that is rightly motivating and encouraging to the people of God uh, to know that the omnipotent maker of the universe and then to know that the God who became a man to die on the cross to reconcile us to himself, that, that he is with us, that he is for us. I mean, that's why Paul can say things like, if God is for us, then who can be against us, right? I mean, this is... This has just got to be one of those seminal texts of encouragement to the Christian, encouragement to the believer to know that regardless of backsliding, regardless of complacency, regardless of an idolatrous heart, to know that our God is with us, that our God is for us, it, it, it provides such comfort and such, such confidence that... Uh, that this is, this is our Lord whom we serve, and, and to know that we, can, we, we really can rest in the finished work of Christ uh, and, and not in our strivings, we, we don't ever slip into that sense of, oh, if I just tried a little bit harder, if I just tried a little bit harder, it's like, no, 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 the source of all of this is, is God Himself. He, it's, it's His love for you that springs up love for Him inside of your own heart. Uh, you can't manufacture this. You can't generate this in any way. Um, and and I, think it's, I think it's just especially cool when we get to see those sorts of texts in the Old Testament, right? Again, just this is indeed the same loving God. Uh, and absolutely, we see His wrath and we see His discipline. But, but the love is certainly not absent and the promises of hope are certainly uh, not absent in any way whatsoever. And so just to, to remind ourselves through texts like this that we, we know 
it is indeed right the, that the Spirit of God, it, it's God in us, both, both to will and to work, all for His good pleasure. I mean, that, back to the, the first thing I said, right? He is, He's both the end and the means. It, we, we try to reach Him. Great, you've, you've identified the correct end to shoot for. But then you try to do it in a way that's divorced from Him, not entirely powered by His grace and His mercy. You won't get there. Um, and, and we see that certainly uh, in the lives of, of many people. We ourselves slip into that. And, uh, and it's a wonderful text like this that helps bring us back puts the beauty of Christ on display, even though certainly now Christ isn't, isn't present uh, in word in this text. We don't necessarily, as we will later, have direct prophetic reference to the coming of the Messiah, although we will have that in the book of Haggai. But we certainly have uh, something that ought to stir up our affection for Christ in this text, to see and to know that He is with us and to see uh, on the cross that displayed most perfectly um, and that that ought to just become a, a wellspring of joy and confidence in the heart of the believer and uh, yeah it's a great it's a great text to return to uh, middle of the week you're feeling discouraged things aren't going well uh, burdened by your own sin whatever it may be to return to the words and to know that uh, I am with you declares the Lord is a wonderful wonderful promise that we uh, that we ought to cling to very tightly so with that, we shall pray and then move into uh, questions and discussion. <clears throat> Father, thank you <clears throat> for giving us your word, for giving us your spirit, uh, all because and, and by uh, your love and mercy and grace that we uh, can call you Father, that we can cry out to you and, and come to you with, with every need to know that you love us and that you are with us that you died for us. These, uh, these are truths that we just do not keep before our eyes uh, on a daily basis, uh, not as we should. And, um, and if we did, how different, how different would our lives look? How, how much more would we sing your praises and, and share the truth of who you are? I mean, we wouldn't be able to contain it. Uh, so I pray that you would, by your Spirit, work in us as you have done throughout all of time, uh, working in the hearts of your people, your faithless people, but you are faithful to preserve them and you are faithful to keep that remnant. We, we thank you to be among that remnant people. I pray that you would do a great work of, of transformation and renewal in our hearts and in our minds, that we wouldn't be lax uh, to the things that you are adamant about and, and that we would love the things that you love and that the more and more we spend time meditating upon your word and uh, as, as the psalmist described, as your, and your precepts, your law, your statutes that we would see there uh, a source of, of life, the source of life and, and that the gospel of all things, uh, the, the personal work of Christ, Christ and Him crucified, that that would just truly uh, saturate, saturate our lives and, uh, and become a, a more and more object of, of our affection. We know that that is, uh, that is what we want.
And so we pray that you would just even continue to, to, to change the very desires of our hearts so that we are aligned, uh, aligned to the desires of your heart. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.